The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show. All persons described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matters such as violence and graphic descriptions along with adult language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. On January 24, 1984, a 19-year-old leaves to go to college but seemingly disappears. For 10 years, the family thinks he's simply a missing person, but the truth defies explanation. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Tim Molnar. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. Well, I don't know if you noticed it yesterday, old Coachy, but uh, there's a little hint of full in the air. I almost oh, had to yeah, go get dead. me some uh, pumpkin spice latte and some Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Oh, it will definitely. It was definitely false fall. Oh yeah, we're about a, to have a hundred degree heat for about two straight weeks. Yeah, they give you one decent weather day, and you're like, man, this is good, and then bam. 110, 125 degree heat index. Yeah, it'll be 90, September, it'll be September twenty percent. Yeah, ninety three percent humidity, just dying. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it'll be a hundred and five with the heat index on Labor Day. So, always a fun time. Always a fun time. Oh, I yeah. saw the funniest TikTok, and the guy does um, SEC videos on TikTok. I think he's on Instagram too, but he puts on a t-shirt for each team and kind of goes through the season. He's been doing it for a while. But anyway, he does certain other Southern things. He got on there the other day, and you could tell he was just wringing wet. And he goes, look, I really appreciate the guy that sends out all those heat advisories, but we live here. We grew up here. We know it's going to be hot. You can stop. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. It's ridiculous, man. It is. And it's just getting worse. I know it, man. It's every like, year it's worse. It's they like, say climate change ain't real bullshit. It's like the more I saw something the other day it was like the amount of moisture in the air has changed so much that the humidity is just stupid. But anyway, <sighs> enough of that. We do have, as far as I can tell, we do. Nope, I lied. I thought we had a new. <laughs> patron i swear i just saw a new patron that somebody signed up at the one dollar tier for the shout out maybe nice. i was wrong maybe it was a false one yep it was false oh well oh well anyway uh there has been a snafu in the uh mail room so i put out a message on patreon today if you have not received your stickers please let us know i think i have gotten caught caught up i think i got caught up today um, we finally uh, got the 2,000th follower on Facebook, her little care package sent out. So she should have that today. I sent our buddy Jen and her husband, Jesse uh, Bukholz, a little 
care package as well. I know they got it in Colorado, so surely to God, everybody got it. Mr. O'Hare, Mark O'Hare, he had not received his. Somehow his fell through the cracks, and he's been a member. I still of ain't got my. I still ain't got my stickers, motherfucker. It's because you keep driving by my house, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I need my stickers. But anyway, I need. Right. To, I know. I know. We're gonna be up there this weekend. I'll talk to you off the air, but about about it. But uh, we can swing by. Um, Where are you gonna be? We gotta go get a cur. Are we still on video? Are you posting this? No, I'm not posting it. I will from now on. If I post a video to Patreon, I'll let you know. Oh damn! I know <laughs> I'm such a horrible person. But anyway, <laughs> we gotta go buy a car. So Saturday we are going to the big Chattanooga. Oh shit! Yeah, you'll be close by. Yeah. So, but anyway, that's enough of that. Uh, you got any? Uh, reviews? No. Funniness? Sure, no. I don't need to. Nobody's reviewing us, man. They need to. Y'all do realize you can go in there and edit your review and it pops back to the top. I did not know that. Yeah, it does. Uh, good news for our patrons. Spotify has partnered with Patreon and now you have your own Spotify RSS feed that shows all of our Patreon exclusive so when we drop it on Patreon, it shows up on your Spotify app. So whoopity, whoopity, look at that. So that's even, that's even more incentive to join the old Patreon. And finally, I think we're getting back on the schedule. You know, as soon as I say it, something's going to happen. But Well, my work's about to get back started, so who the hell knows? Welcome to the salt mines, brother. I've been here for a month. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, all right, so let's get into this one. This is... Well, we are back on our true crime kick to make our fans, our loyal true crime fans happy. I'm sure they enjoyed our 200th episode last week with the Bigfoot. Maybe they didn't give it give up on us. Well, Mr. O'Hare said today when he told me that he had not received his stickers that we should do more Bigfoot. And I was like, I like the way you think, brother. I, I completely agree. Now... Um, that episode has only been out for two days as we are recording right now. And we already have 275 listens, downloads, plays, whatever. So, and only four complaints. <laughs> we didn't put the Sierra sounds in there. There shouldn't be any complaints. They, um, <laughs> I will say that the, uh, the patrons loved the spitballing. They said we should do that more often as we just ramble. People do enjoy a good ramble every once in a while. That is true. It is a good. It is good for the soul sometimes. But let's do this. This is like Coach said back on our true crime kick. This is one of those cases that we both had not heard about until Coach sent me a Mr. Ballin Facebook video that kind of gave a synopsis of this. And then as I dove into it, it gets pretty weird. Well, another one. I mean, this is another unsolved mysteries that kind of slipped through the cracks, but. It was only after it aired on Unsolved Mysteries that the true craziness really began. That is true. So we are talking about one Timothy Michael Molnar, who was born on May 24th, 1964, to parents Helen and Michael Molnar. He was the middle child of three with an older sister, Michelle, and a younger brother, Frank. He grew up, or they grew up, in Daytona Beach, Florida, 
from all indications, Tim had a normal childhood growing up on the South Peninsula Drive and was your typical teenager in the mid-1980s. Now, Helen would describe Tim to Unsolved Mysteries in Season 8, Episode 3, that he was a run-of-the-mill, polite, well-mannered, likable, sensitive young man, but was very quiet. At the age of 19, Tim was studying aeronautical mechanics as a student at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida. On the morning of January 24th, 1984, Tim left home to drop his younger brother, Frank, who was 14, off at junior high school, and then he was headed to classes at Embry-Riddle. After dropping Frank off, Tim returned home to pick up his bicycle that he had forgotten. Now, his mom, Helen, remembers catching a glimpse of him leaving the driveway. Unfortunately, this would be the last time that Tim was seen by his family. Now, we'll go ahead and, and touch on this now because there's a lot on the Internet, especially on Reddit, about why did he come back to get a bicycle? He was driving to college. Da, 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 I don't know if most of you just didn't go to a big school, but Embry-Riddle was huge, still is huge. But back in the 80s, that was the only aeronautical school that I knew of in the southeast. And that is a large campus. So I'm just about 99% sure that he could park, but then he would have to walk miles. So he had a bicycle to get there quicker. And he had a mint condition Dodge Dart. And if he was driving that thing around campus, you'd have had to like get a street sweeper to get the panties out of the street. Because it was baby blue. I was trying to respond to that, and I couldn't. Like, <laughs> street sweeper to get all the panties off. <laughs> Good Lord. They're just throwing them at him. That must have been a nice-ass bike. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so back to it. When Tim did not return home that evening at his normal time, his mom and dad began calling his friends to see if they had seen him or heard from him. None of his friends had. And when Helen and Michael asked the young son, Frank, if he noticed anything different about Tim that morning when he dropped him off, Frank would state that he just seemed like he had a lot on his mind, but nothing out of the ordinary. So Tim's parents would alert authorities and police asked, man, I'm killing it. Police asked <laughs> Helen and Michael if there would be any reason that Tim would want to run away from home. Both were adamant that, to their knowledge, there was nothing. Helen would state in the news journal newspaper in Daytona Beach, Florida, that, quote, he was home every night at the same time. You could set your clock by him, end quote. Later in the evening of January 24th, the Molnar home would receive two telephone calls they believe were long distance, but nobody answered despite the repeated hellos. Helen believes that it was Tim trying to reach out, but was either unable to speak or was somehow calling without another person knowing. Fast forward roughly three weeks after Tim's disappearance and the Molnars received receipts from a credit card company that showed Tim bought gas at a service station in Lake City, Florida the day he disappeared. Now, Lake City is located 150 miles northwest of Daytona Beach. Helen would drive to the gas station in 
Lake City and speak to the attendant who filled Tim's car up. And yes, that's how long ago it was. It was a full-service gas station. Now, the attendant positively ID'd the person in the car as Tim and said that he was by himself. The attendant also remembers that Tim's Dodge Dart was in mint condition and he was eyeing the car as he was filling it up and said that Tim was quiet but very polite. So four and a half months after Tim's disappearance, the Molnars get a letter from a towing company in Atlanta, Georgia. Tim's Dodge Dart had been found abandoned just six days after his disappearance in January, which puts the date, I believe, as January the 30th. So he disappeared on the 24th. The 30th is when the car is found abandoned. Where was it abandoned, you may ask? Well, it was just one block from the Greyhound bus terminal in Atlanta. Now, the Molnars pack up, head to Atlanta, and go through the car. In it, they find Tim's wallet, his driver's license, another identification, which I'm assuming is his student ID, and the family's credit card. Other than those items, the car had been stripped of Tim's expensive aeronautical mechanics tool set, a new stereo that Tim had put in the car, and his red 10-speed bicycle. Tim's father, Michael, stated that this led him to believe that Tim was attempting to change his identity, which I found was odd in the Unsolved Mysteries episode for the father just to say, well, seemed to me like he was trying to leave. Well, I mean, they are valuable items. It could either be he's a victim of a robbery, or he himself took them and pawned them. That could be just the dad assuming the best, trying to, you know, not think negatively. You know, I would rather think that my son, wouldn't you? Well, he just ran off to start a new life rather than he was robbed and killed. Agreed. And that's one thing that I was going to say. One of the theories online is that he had pawned all of those belongings to buy a bus ticket to start a new life. Now, Tim's mom would state that she just had this mother's intuition that that was not the case and foul play was somehow involved. Now, the thing with Tim running off and starting a new life is he didn't take any clothes with him other than what he had on, but he did withdraw all of the money from his savings account except $10. And his brother, his father, I don't know if the mom said it, but I know the father and the brother said that the $10 to them felt like I'll be back. I don't know why, but that's what they said. I mean, it's just $10. Maybe where he went only gave 20s, and it just happened to be. No, I mean, I'm being serious. Like, don't laugh at me. Don't laugh at my theories. No, no, no. I'm not laughing at your theories, <laughs> but it's 1984. I'm pretty sure ATMs are not, uh, they're not as prevalent as they are now. I'm thinking he went to the bank. Maybe. I don't know. You may be on to something, maybe. I'm, I'm looking it up. When were ATMs invented? Well, probably like 1965, now that you say it. But Anyway, Tim's case would re-air on Unsolved Mysteries on January 31st, 1996. They were invented in 1960. See, I told you. I knew it was going to be like an old 
two decades before. So he could have easily went to ATM. You don't know. I think man. back in the eighties, them ATMs was attached to the bank, though. But still, I'm not saying no. I'm just to saying theory. He could. Yeah, if they just give twenties and he's got seventy in the bank, he's only going to be able to get sixty. That's all I'm trying to say. Duly noted. Stop. Stop poking holes in my theories, man. I will not poke no more. It's a no-poke zone. <laughs> <laughs> I wish prison had that same policy. <laughs> I heard you get a special T-shirt whether you're in the poke zone or not there. <laughs> <laughs> so Stephen Cole just happened to be watching the re-air of Unsolved Mysteries on January 31st of 1996 and could not believe what he had just seen. Stephen was near Neosha, Wisconsin, and called in to Unsolved Mysteries and said that he knew positively where Tim Molnar was at. He goes on to tell Unsolved Mysteries that in 1986, he was walking through a pine plantation near Merton, Wisconsin, and he had come to a clearing in the forest that was completely flat except for a lump near the center. Stephen approaches the lump in question and notices that it, it was a huge block of ice. So curiously, Stephen brushes the snow off the ice and is startled to see inside the block of ice a dead body of a young man. Stephen would leave the area immediately and call the police. Authorities would arrive and remove the body from the ice and they were stumped when they could not find any identification on the body. The only thing they find is a rusty set of keys. Now, at the time that his body is found in 1986 in Wisconsin, there's no clues, nothing for local police to go off of. So Tim is buried as a John Doe, basically in a potter's field. And the authorities just move on. Stephen, however, could not move on as easily. He would. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're not used to seeing dead bodies, that's not your your profession. It's going to stick with you, right? And he said that he just could not get the picture of Stephen in that block of ice out of his mind. As he's watching the unsolved mysteries segment, he was shocked at a picture of Tim that was aired and immediately recognized the picture or the clothes on Tim in the picture as the same clothes on the body in the ice. So Florida investigators would head to Wisconsin and exhume the body, and through testing, it was confirmed that the body in the ice was that of Tim Molnar. Some sites say dental records, some sites say DNA, whatever they used, they confirmed without a shadow of a doubt that the body in the ice was Tim's. Now, during the exhumation... It is, it is pretty crazy that, I mean... It would probably stick with us, too, but he remembered the exact clothing for 10 years and then saw – they just happened to show the picture. They had him in the same clothes. That's just wild. Yeah, the the odds of that happening are astronomically small. But during the exhumation of Tim's body, a coroner did state that despite the time that had passed since Tim was buried, he could find no trauma to Tim's body, and no cause of death was ever determined. 
going back to the rusty keys that were found on Tim's body, one of them was the key to the Molnar's front door. And I believe once authorities from Florida got to Wisconsin, they called Helen and asked her to mail a copy of the house key to the Wisconsin authorities. And by the time it got there, it was a match to one of the rusty keys. What is not discussed is whether the other keys on there matched the Dodge Dart or anything else that Tim owned. Now, that is basically the whole story. What we get into now is some craziness, some questions, and some theories. Is that not crazy enough for you? Oh, it gets weirder. <laughs> I can guarantee you. Oh. Now, I could not find in my research an autopsy report, and despite my trying, I decided not to repeat my autopsy for this man, autopsy for this man, like on 18 different search engines like I did with the uranium poisoning thing. Well, they said the cause of death couldn't be determined. That's what I found in my research. Right. And cause of death and so time I mean, of death is not was not ever divulged. Now, the other thing well, is... Ice is going to screw up the the time frame anyway. But, I mean, just the, the fact that he was frozen solid and you can't determine the cause of death, I mean, that's, that's pretty weird because it would preserve a lot of things. Well, and the other thing that I had a question about was his clothes. Did they keep the clothes in evidence? I don't think they did because, again, I can't find anything about that. One could hypothesize that Tim died fairly quickly if he was found with the clothes that were recognizable from one of the photographs that aired on Unsolved Mysteries. And then, like I stated, we don't know if the other keys on that key ring that were on Tim, did they match his Dodge Dart? You know, we just don't know. The other thing that kills me is there is absolutely, that I could find now, now someone else may be better at searching the interwebs but from what i can find i could not find or i could not find what i could not find was any discussion from florida authorities or wisconsin authorities that would match finding a body like i couldn't find newspaper clippings in wisconsin stating that a john doe had been found in a block of ice i couldn't find anything from florida saying that they were investigating tim's death there was no uh, press releases from authorities when the car was found or the gas attendant and there's no police in, interviewed on the unsolved mysteries episode what we which is pretty strange for them because they typically would try to get everybody involved in the case involved in the show yes that was their whole that was what was unique about unsolved mysteries is they they even went so far as to sometimes having uh, the people involved in the case reenacted. They were the actors. Yeah, his mom played his mom in the reenactment of going to the um, gas station. Yeah. So we do know that Tim traveled from Atlanta to Wisconsin. Okay. He had to. Yes. Because that's where he was found dead. Correct. That that's is not a mystery. That is not a mystery. <laughs> it is irrefutable. The question is why? And the other question is, if you believe that he committed suicide, why in the hell would he drive to Wisconsin to kill himself? Well, I don't think he drove. I mean, I surely you would think that he took the Greyhound. Correct. Now, what we do know is if Tim had committed suicide, 
those injuries would have been seen by the coroner that exhumed his body when Stephen called into Unsolved Mysteries. And then the other thing is, could his death have been an accident? Well, if it was an accident, again, you're thinking like he's disabled, he can't move. If it was like a severe break, um, head injury or something like that, again, the coroner would have noticed that during the exhumation. So we have, other than, I guess, suffocation by like carbon monoxide poisoning or something like that, we really don't know what happened. But we can kind of rule out like an accident. He was walking in the forest, trip and broke his ankle and or broke his femur and succumbed to the elements. Yeah, and I'm, but I mean, even if it was carbon monoxide, that would mean somebody put him in the ice. No, I agree. I mean, they said you don't just end up in ice. Yeah, they said that the way that that plant that pine plantation sits, and I didn't Google Earth it, but the way they said that it kind of holds water during the winter months. And so when the cold air comes in, it will just freeze the ground. And so basically his body went through several thaws and freezes until Stephen found him. But again, we're talking mere, they think it was like within six or seven days, if I remember correctly, there's not any day. That's the other thing that I couldn't find is like a newspaper saying the body was found on this date. But I think if I remember correctly, on one of the Reddit threads, someone said that they had seen that Stephen had found him like seven days after he disappeared. So it would have been like his body was found the day after his parents go and look at the car in Atlanta. The other glaring question is, what is a 19-year-old kid from Florida doing in the middle of a pine plantation in the middle of Wisconsin with nothing on but the clothes that he left Florida with and his keys in his pocket. I, I mean, another question before that would be why drive to Atlanta to get on a, like hypothetically get on a bus to go to Wisconsin. There's gray. I'm sure there's Greyhound stations near where he was. Well, yeah. yeah. If you had from Daytona to Lake city, you're going to go either through Jacksonville or Tallahassee. And both of those have Greyhound stations. So, but my question, uh, another good question would be is like how many, Greyhounds in Atlanta at that during that time are making direct trips to Wisconsin. Could he have? What I was going to try to say is, if he was running away to start a new life, as his dad hypothesized, maybe he got to the Greyhound station and was like, "I just want a ticket for the next bus. I don't care where it's going." And it well, was it's going to yeah, it's going to Wisconsin. I'll take it. I don't care. But I'm, I was going to suggest that, but thinking about it, were, were there direct routes from Atlanta, Georgia, to somewhere in Wisconsin on a Greyhound? There had to be some changeovers at some point. You like, would think so because most Greyhounds back then had stops because you're – I mean, if you're going from Atlanta to – let's just say you were going to Milwaukee – from Atlanta to Milwaukee, you're going through some major cities along the way that people are going to drop off on. So, and you've got to fill yeah. that bus up. I'm thinking maybe there's a changeover in St. Louis. That would seem like a good city for it. I was going to so say maybe, that or Nashville. Yeah, something like that. Like, well, we got a bus going to Nashville, but then 
you can I, I don't know. I just don't why Wisconsin? Well, funny you should it, ask, because I found a theory and it fits pretty well. Well good, because I'm stumped. <laughs> so this theory comes from the user because what I'm saying is, I have I've never been. I plan on going. I have absolutely no doubt that Wisconsin is a beautiful, beautiful state, full of beautiful people. But it just doesn't seem like the suicide destination. You know? That's correct. It's, it's just not like the Golden Gate Bridge. That's a suicide destination. Random ass field in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, is not a suicide destination. Correct. So this theory comes from the user OH Maitland, and I'm just going to read it to you, and then we'll divulge on little tangents when we get to them. So, quote, in the 1980s, my family had a friend named Richard Jashinsky, (laughs) J.A. (laughs) Shinsky. Perfect. Yes. Perfect pronunciation and spelling. Uh, He was friends with my uncle and spent a lot of time with him and my aunt. My parents would come down to Wisconsin from Minnesota, and Richard would often be there. My parents never liked him and often found him odd. My father told me that from the minute he met Richard, he knew something was off. Richard would often show up to my family's property uninvited, which is located just down the street from where Tim Molnar was found. My father says now that he thought that Richard was coming to scope out the land for something weird. Our property Mm. was remote farmland that had a long driveway leading up to the house, a perfect place for a body to be hidden. So you may be asking yourself, self, who is this Richard Jashinsky guy that Arlo's talking about? Well, old Richard, as of six months ago, is still kicking. He's in his 80s. He lived in Wisconsin, and he loved to fly planes and he had a small plane that he would fly often between wisconsin and florida Hmm. now the user oh maitland states that i have been told that richard had young men staying in his small shack of a home who would be coming through town now that information isn't confirmed but it seems to be true now One thing that you have to understand about old Richard is he's a convicted pedophile from Aaron, Wisconsin. He was convicted. Uh. It gets better or worse, however you want to look at this. He was convicted in 2001 on two counts of second-degree sexual assault of a 12-year-old boy who was his neighbor. He enticed the boy to help him with yard work. The assaults occurred between 1990 and 1992, according to court documents. Jashinsky was granted release from a state mental health hospital despite a psychologist stating even though he was 65 at the time, he would reoffend. Upon his release, old Richard moved to 10801 West Sequoia Drive in Sun City, Arizona, where he is currently registered as a sex offender at the ripe old age of 80. Yeah. yeah, but Tim was 19. I know. Hold if on. It's, it's getting better. Okay. It's getting better. Okay. All right. All right. I'll let Just you finish. I'm going to let you finish. Get you another sip off that big gulp and another handful of popcorn because I'm going <laughs> to reel your big ass in. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, this is the user from Reddit speaking again. The thing that I find odd in these two people together is this. Even though Tim Molnar was technically of age, the fact that he was from Florida, where Richard would often be, then found less than a mile from where he would spend a lot of his time, and for Richard to be arrested in 2001 for sexual assault of a child seems to be too odd of a coincidence to ignore. Stephen Cole, the man that found Tim's body and called Unsolved Mysteries, lived across the street from the user's aunt and uncle's house. His family has been their neighbors for many years. The fact that Richard would spend a lot of his time showing up to my family's property uninvited across the street from the man who found Tim's body also seems to be a odd coincidence. He goes on to state, I will say back in 2019, my brother and I put all this information on the internet. We posted on Unsolved Mysteries, My Favorite Murder, and other Reddit pages. We contacted the Milwaukee Homicide Division, sent the information to the FBI, but nothing was ever done about it. Now, the information that they submitted to authorities are is as follows. Quote, I have family in Wisconsin. When we are driving past a park area, my father remarks how family friends found a skeleton known as the Monches Skeleton while looking for shed antlers. Later, while watching Unsolved Mysteries covering the disappearance of Tim Molnar, he, Richard, makes the connect. I'm sorry, he, the family friend, makes the connection to the unidentified body he found years before. This is Stephen Cole. Tells law enforcement, and lo and behold, it's Tim Molnar. My father remarks how he always suspected a former friend of his brother-in-law's, which is my uncle, of committing the crime because he was a creepy guy and was convicted of second-degree sexual assault against a child in 2001 and lived in the same town. My sister and I are like, what the fuck, and ask him if he ever tipped off law enforcement. He's like, well, no, we can't believe it, but the evidence isn't really beyond the fact that Richard is a pedo at this point. But we are headed to my uncle's who knew this man better than my father. This man's name is Richard Joseph Jashinsky. And as we ask more and more questions of our uncle, the more damning the picture becomes. Dick, as he was known, (laughs) I wish I had the laugh track because I would have inserted it, did it? Was a strange man who lived nearby in a barn-like shack where he would often let young male drifters crash rotating through. From this shack, he was also a poacher, killing animals illegally and surviving off of them. My uncle remembers how he tried to burn the bones of the animals he would poach in a furnace to hide the poaching and failed miserably, and then he began looking for other methods of disposal. He also would leave in the winter to fly to Florida, where he had a plane and would often fly back and forth, but would often drive down and fly out. Tim disappeared in January 1984 from Florida, leaving his car at a Greyhound station, taking a bike with him that was found with his body all the way in Wisconsin. That right there, I'm going to stop reading what they sent to law enforcement. That right there was not said anywhere else. It's not on Unsolved Mysteries. Nothing. What that guy just said was not only did they find Tim Molnar found or they found him in a block of ice, but they found his 10 speed bicycle near the body. Now, I don't know how true that is, but this is what this user on Reddit is stating. So he goes on to state, 
like I said, he was later convicted of pedophilia in 2001 and had infiltrated a Christian boys and girls club. He would also take long, unannounced walks on my family's property, making me wonder what he was really up to. I'm trying to remember more. I have a feeling I've forgotten a super creepy piece of the Florida connection, but wanted to put this out there for my conscience and for Tim Molnar's family. If this guy, Jashinsky, had something to do with it, then I have to say something. But oddly, when I contacted my aunt, she said she wanted nothing to do with it and not to use her name when I called the FBI. And my uncle has sort of been defensive when I ask him questions about it, but I think he's dealing with guilt from being friends with Jashinsky and not realizing he was a pedophile. And like I said, my father literally had all the info and never reported it, end quote. Wow. Now, in the thread on Reddit, someone asked, user OH Maitland, if he posted his info on the Reddit thread Unresolved Mysteries, which is one of the bigger true crime boards on Reddit. OH Maitland responds, quote, I tried, but they removed it. I was told it went against community guidelines. I tried to dispute it, but they won't let it on, end quote. Now, when I got on there, it is on there, but you have to look for it in a weird way. One of the thread's rules is no speculation and no naming of names without evidence. So I'm wondering if that's why they kicked it the first time. It's because this is all circumstantial evidence. Could or could not be. Now, here's another little nugget that'll make you go, hmm. Tim was studying to be an aircraft mechanic. It is very plausible that Richard used Embry-Riddle to service his airplane when he wintered in Florida. It is also plausible that he could have befriended Tim and used the guise of helping fix his plane. Jashinsky is described as being a cheap, eccentric, and might not want or afford to pay a real mechanic, so he would use the school's mechanics in training. That makes sense. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Tim's expensive airplane tools were missing from the car when it was found in Atlanta. Just about every trade worker marks their tools in case of theft. Some of those tools might still be around the airfield that is close to where Tim's body was found, or could Richard have held on to one of the tools as a trophy? So this is all on Reddit, and then about halfway down from this guy posting all this stuff, a user, which I love this, I love this user handle, it's top 10, User PBNJ underscore again comes in. <laughs> what? PBNJ again? Yep. PBNJ again. One of my favorite. So he comes on and says, quote, I'm seeing in the 2017 post, you had a theory that he got on a Greyhound and came to Wisconsin because that's where his car was found near the Greyhound station in Atlanta. But what are your thoughts on this? I found an old article about the case that mentions he was found in a pine plantation. And looking at a satellite map of the area, I'm seeing an area of pines the article must be referring to, and I'm also seeing an airfield right next to it. I was able to find the area where Richard Jashinsky may have lived based on an internet search. I wonder if Jashinsky used the airfield back in the day and if there are any records of him using it. I also wonder if Jashinsky committed the crime in Florida then parked the car near the Greyhound so that it looked like Tim Molnar ran away and then flew him back to Wisconsin to 
to dispose of the body, assuming Jashinsky is the perpetrator, of course. He asked the user, O.H. Maitland, what his thoughts are. Yeah, but if he was murdered, you'd think there'd be signs of it on the body. Yes, again, yes. And you got an undetermined method of death. I mean, maybe he was poisoned, but surely they'd be able to tell that. You would think, and that's another thing that's not available, and it may be in the case file in Wisconsin, was if a toxicology screening was done when they found his body. But, like you said, that being frozen is going to hinder a lot of those tests. But it's not going to prevent them from, from detecting poison, but, or, I mean, I just, I don't know. It's just, it's very strange. It's, what, everything you're saying is plausible if they knew each other and it makes sense, but the same time you would think there'd be some sort of evidence agreed now pb and j again goes on to state that the activation date of the airfield was 12 of 1969 so that airfield had been in use for quite a while so it was active during the time of tim's disappearance he goes on to state i just find it so interesting that it's right next to the pines where tim was found also he didn't pack anything which would lead me to believe he had no intention of leaving florida and then if you wanted to look, he's got um, some kind of air nav website where he looked up the uh, airfield in question. Now, he goes at the same time. Well, at the same time, if this guy killed him in Florida and flew him home to Wisconsin, why is his car in Atlanta? Now, I don't think he I don't I really honest to God don't think he killed him in Florida or Atlanta. I think he somehow used a guise to get Tim to drop his car off. And in the 80s, he could have flew out of the Fulton County or Cobb County Airport with a little Cessna. So depending on where in Atlanta this car was found, there's probably a little municipal airfield near that he was like, look, just park your car here. I'll come by and get you, and then we'll fly up to Milwaukee. That's what I'm thinking. Well, maybe, but why Atlanta? I mean, why there? Again, that makes no sense because the same thing could have been done. He could have flown out of Daytona. He could have flown out of Tallahassee, Jacksonville, any of those. Macon, hell, there's a ton of places between Daytona and Atlanta that he could have flown out of. Now, maybe he's thinking if he leaves the car in Atlanta, it would take a hell of a lot longer for them to trace it back to Tim's parents. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. But anyway, so PB&J again looks up the weather for January 24th, 25th, and 26th in 1984, and he said it was a mild time of the year in Wisconsin with the, I think he said the lows were in the upper 30s. So I, could, I couldn't I could find a snow depth history. That air, airfield may have been clear enough to land on then. Obviously, if he was transporting a body, he wasn't going to land at Mitchell International or any other airport. Makes sense he would land on a private field, basically undetected. Maybe that just happens to be near his home and next to where the body was found. Well, we got so we got mild weather in Wisconsin, yet we're going to find a body frozen solid in six in days. In six days, because that's they're I don't know. they're hypothesizing I mean, that from the day he disappeared to the day his body was discovered was six or seven days. Yeah. Wait, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I take that back. They are saying that he was dead in six or seven days. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, Stephen Cole didn't find that body till 86. Yeah, correct. 
Okay, so that's two years. So that yes. would occur. That would play into the thing. Whatever. All right. So well, that well, that would mean that he was not in that ice. He was not there for two years because his body was found with the same clothing on. If you're you're put on ice in '84, you're gonna thaw out, go through the entire summer, go the spring, summer, fall, and then the winter again, and then the spring, summer, fall, and then winter again. Then you're gonna be found. You're not gonna be there. They're no. gonna find they're gonna find frag bone fragments, if anything. Yeah, you would think animal predation would have scattered that everywhere. Or hell, bugs. I mean, just bugs. That, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just in a pine plant. Yeah, pine plantation is some gnarly shit, especially with the acidic pine needles. But anyway, so PB and J post in February of this year on the same thread and says any update on this and ask OH Maitland. And then he goes on to state, FYI, in researching R- Richard Jashinsky, I discovered that he is not registered with the state of Arizona as a sex offender. Only with with only with Wisconsin and the U.S. Registry, I confidentially reported him to the county in which he resides, along with a link to his Wisconsin court case, a link to his U.S. Registry, and a link to this Reddit thread. I have no idea if anyone ever did anything about it, and the last time I checked, which was probably a couple of months ago, he was still not registered with Arizona. He goes on. And says that he checked again. This post was in March of 2023 and basically restates what I just said, that as far as he can find, he's still not registered in Arizona. Uh, But the old boy did call him out by name. And in that thread, they have his phone number and someone called it and Jashinsky answered. Unfortunately, Helen Molnar would pass away in 2004, and Tim's dad, Michael Molnar, would pass away in 2012. Uh, Tim's parents never gave up the fight to find out exactly what happened to their son. But, ladies and gentlemen, that is the case of Tim Molnar. With a huge curveball, if you believe the Jashinsky tangent. But, Other than this theory, there is no other theories out there that I find credible or hold water. I don't know. Well, it's it makes sense to try to put and give an explanation, and that does make sense. But you don't, you can't prove any of it. You can't prove that they even knew each other. Right. The only thing I think they are hoping for is this old bastard is getting to the ripe old age of where he's going. He's about to die and he might confess. I think that's the whole reason for that Reddit thread. But I mean, I just find it odd that the Milwaukee police and the FBI wouldn't take a statement from this old boy. I don't know, man. It's. It feels good to try to ex- to explain it, and that that makes it plausible to find a culprit, find a bad guy, and pin it on him. But there's just nothing to prove that. But if they if that theory is not true, there's no explanation for this. No, there's not. no. 
There is not. That's what I was saying. There, this is it. When you look up theories, this is the main one, unless you believe he got on a Greyhound, connecting Greyhounds, as we have discussed, found the pine plantation in the middle of Bumblebutt, Wisconsin, and either succumbed to hypothermia or I don't know. I mean, I can see him. I mean, maybe there was a direct Greyhound from Atlanta to Wisconsin. Maybe he literally was just tired of his life. His dad was right. He wanted to start a new life. He got to the Greyhound station. Maybe his car was screwing up. He didn't think he'd make a trip. He didn't want to be tracked by his car. He was tired of all the panties being thrown at him because that was a baby blue yeah. Dodge Dart. Yeah, somebody, he just decided, I'm gone. He stops, sees the Greyhound, stops, says, I just want a ticket to the next place. Where is it going? Just give me a ticket. I'm gone. And then just, by dumb luck, fell into a pond or something and froze to death. It makes just as little sense as the, the theory. I agree. I mean, there, but other than that, I mean, there's no, that's what's so odd about There is nothing out there about this case. Absolutely yeah. nothing. It, it boggles my mind that you don't see newspaper clippings, even if it is behind a paywall. And it wasn't. Um, there's only, I could only find three or four news clippings on it. And, you know, one thing about a lot of times when we cover missing persons, because he, he was a missing person in the eyes of his parents and authorities in Florida, he was a missing person for 10 years or for 12, uh, 12 years. Right. And you always hear people say like, like parents of missing people or whatever, loved ones are like, well, if we just get, you know, if we can just find out that he's dead, we can move on. We can get closure and blah, 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 all that good stuff. But not in this case. No. What closure? You, what closure could you have possibly gotten when they're like, okay, well, they did find our son, but they found him frozen solid in Wisconsin when he left freaking Daytona Beach, Florida. And I read somewhere that Helen and Michael never changed their locks during those twelve years, just in case he came home. Whew. You know, and I think they stayed together, which is a testament to their their strength. Um, even through this, but, and I don't mean to downplay it. They did have two other children to help them through it, but you lost a child and don't, and for 12 years, you didn't know where he was at. So, yeah, as far as they knew, their son left to go to school and vanished dropped off his the brother off and then just vanished off the face of the earth. And again, like I'll go back to it. Like, Oh, well, we could just find closure. If we just knew what happened, if we just knew what happened, when you find out that he's frozen solid in Wisconsin, that is just insane. Like this, I couldn't imagine what they went through. And the fact that they died with no answers. It's just, it's so tragic. Yeah. Someone in the thread had stated that Tim's brother, Frank was on a Facebook page or he's out there on Facebook and the user OH Maitland they had a discussion with another poster and OH Maitland felt like he didn't want to contact Frank and get his hopes up. But at the same time, he wanted to pick his brain. You know, he was on that razor's edge. Should I say something? Should I not contact him? That kind of stuff. Um, 
I don't know, man. It's this is one of the weirder cases that technically is solved because we have a body, but we don't know what happened to the body. Well, it's not solved. There's just because you have a body doesn't mean it's solved. Right. So clearly, this is not solved. What I'm saying is, you, it would lead you to believe that there is foul play in in this somehow. There is foul play other than coach's theory that he just stumbled off and then fell in, got wet, fell out into the middle of a pine plantation. But I just, but still, I mean that even if that theory is true, the still the mystery remains. Why the hell did he end up in Wisconsin? Yeah. Of all places that he didn't have a tie to is the biggest thing. So I don't know. man. He, I mean, what caused him to leave? What caused him to drive to Atlanta? Because from everything I saw, there was no signs of any anything. No, not depression, not dissatisfaction with life, nothing. There was no reason for this to have happened. No, and if um, he began that program at Emory Riddle, you know, we're looking at he would have been 18 in 82. Is that right? No. Hell, I can't add. Anyway, um, he may have been in your, um, in your, like it's your program. He may have been in his second year at Embry Riddle. That's what I'm trying to get out of my little pea brain here. He was just short of his 20th birthday when he disappeared. So he had turned, so he disappeared in January of 84. Whatever or the hell I said. January twenty fourth, eighty four. Yeah. So in January twenty, he had just turned. So in eighty three, he had just turned um, nineteen. So he was about to turn twenty in May of nineteen eighty four. So more than likely, he was in at least his second year at Embry Riddle. So that's when you start getting job offers. That's when you're starting to feel like this is your career. The only thing that I go Back to with the Jashinsky thing is if there was some way they could find one of his tools with his initials on it, then then you got his ass. But I don't know. Well, I don't know, man. Well, this is this is part of the this is reason why we get some complaints sometimes about unsolved stuff because people want answers. I want answers to this. I want answers to this so bad, but we're just never going to get them. No, unfortunately, if Jashinsky is the culprit, you're not ever going to know unless he has a deathbed conv- uh, confession. And if it's anybody else, I know. If it's anybody, <laughs> if it's anybody else that murdered him, you won't know unless they confess. And so far, you know, we're coming up on almost what seventy years, sixty years, sixty years. Since he was born. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong date. Oh, <laughs> like, bro, I was like, <laughs> I'm looking straight at 64, and I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, I just did that. The math. I know, like, no, I know, no, no, no. I know, I'm getting old, but damn, man, don't don't make me that old yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're coming up on 40 years. There you go. That's more like it. Yeah, I'm staring right at his date of birth the whole time, and I'm like. I'm convincing myself, your math is right, your math is right. And you're like, 60 fucking years, what's wrong with you? And then I look down and I'm like, oh, yeah, he didn't disappear when he was born. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. 
He was he come out of the womb nineteen already, second year mechanic. <laughs> All right, so I really I don't have a theory. I think like you said, that Jashinsky theory is plausible. I think mainly because that's the only working theory out there that you can kind of sink your teeth into. But like you pointed out, he could have easily just have stumbled into a bad situation and succumbed to the elements. I mean, I don't know what to, I don't know. I mean, again, yeah, if he succumbed to the elements, why the hell was he in those elements? Right. The million dollar question is, why in the hell did you go to Wisconsin? Like I said before, it's just not, that is not a suicide location. Not unless you're going to eat that. What is that sandwich that that stinky ass cheese sandwich they, that oh uh Larry the cable guy went up there and tried to eat and it was so god awful. Like Lingenburger. It's that and like pickled onions and like you can't. He said you could not get this. I think Dirty Jobs even went up there. Mike Road tried to eat it and it was horrible. So unless you're going up there for that sandwich or to die from lactose poisoning. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing in Wisconsin. It wasn't now January of '84. Super Bowl had already come and gone, so I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't either, bro. I have no answer for you. I wish I did, but I'm stumped. All right. So recommendations. My recommendation is going to be our website mysteriousbrews.com because Shep Dog has decided to revamp the whole thing. It looks phenomenal. You can save the web page to your phone as and then pull it up and listen to our podcast straight from our website now. He, nice. Yeah, he is working on getting our Shopify app added to the website because it's getting it's about to get hoodie season and y'all would look so super cool in a mysterious spruce hoodie. I know I still ain't ordered one. I need to. Well, don't order it now because them bastards want to fight me about my tax documents. So it's kind of the Shopify stores stores kind of in limbo right now, but uh if I can I'm supposed to meet with Shep Dog next week. We're going to hash out how to solve the Shopify problem and we may be going to a whole new store. <laughs> Look, I, I, they might want to fight you, but I'm just telling you, I can't blame them because you got one of the most punchable faces I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, I got a face only a mama could love. <laughs> it's just like every time I see you, I just want to punch you right in the face. <laughs> Remind me when we get home to punch your mama right square in the mouth. Because <laughs> there's no way. You came from <laughs> these loins. But daddy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what's your recommendation? I'm going to recommend Justified City Primeval. I've been watching it. It's it's pretty good. If you've ever watched Justified, you'll appreciate seeing Raylan Givens again. But if you've seen Justified, you will miss Boyd Crowder. But it's still pretty good. That's all I really got to recommend. I've been so damn busy this week. I've been moving and working and. Doing all kinds of stuff. I really don't. I really ain't had much time to do anything. So I haven't discovered any new wild and crazy websites or YouTube channels or anything like that. So. Well, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. The boy is tired. Y'all just let let the boy rest. 
Dude, I'm, I swore if I ever moved again, I was going to hire somebody to move. But we didn't. But I can assure you, if we ever move again. <laughs> Mark I'm my words. Two, I'm hiring two guys in a truck. <laughs> yes. I, me and my wife have had the same discussion. I am too old to be moving that shit. So I'll box mm-hmm. it up. You move it. Well, luckily we were downsizing and we didn't take like the, the couches or the beds or anything because we already had all that stuff. So we didn't even really do a lot of heavy lifting. We just did a lot of boxes. But man, after about a hundred boxes, your body says no. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. It sure does. All right, coach. Well, you got anything else? You know, I don't. Uh, deuces.